Hello, hockey fans. Welcome once again to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. I'm Mark Warner, along with Chris Lee's out on Long Island. We've got a great show for everybody today. We're going to look back at the week that was for the Vegas Golden Knights, continuing their winning ways. We had a real nice tilt with Washington and then followed it up in what could have been a letdown game where they, they found a way to win against Chicago. And then we'll kind of look ahead at this weekend. They got a one o'clocker today against the Kings and then back-to-back uh, back to back tomorrow. And then Doug Mellon's going to join the show from the Seattle Sinbin, and we're going to talk about uh, Seattle expansion, what that means to the city, how the city's feeling about it, and all that good stuff. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, hockey fans, here we go for another episode of the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Let me bring in Chris. Good day to you, sir. Good day to you, sir. So, overall, it was a positive week for the Knights. You know, they last we spoke, last Saturday, they had the game against uh, Edmonton where we had Rob Soria on. If you missed that show, check it out on blogtalkradio.com. He was great as always. Uh, lost a 2-1 game there, but came back this week. Beat the Caps at home. Uh, a little drama in that game, which we'll get to. Yeah. And then uh, and then beat the, and then beat the Hawks. So uh, you know you take two out of three. Uh, you know every time. Um, uh, you know Marcuso had was big in the win, uh, as was Cody Eakin. I mean he. I, I think yeah. uh, to this point, he's been by far the most unsung hero of this team with all the erratic play, with the Nate Schmidt suspension, with all the injuries. He's really been one of their best players, and and consistently. So, um, like you said, the, the, you know today they got a afternoon game at LA, back home tomorrow against the Dallas Stars, who are having a real good season. And then they start, then they head uh, on another East Coast swing, a four gamer, which starts in Brooklyn against the Islanders, which uh, yours truly will be in attendance at. So, right, right. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's. Uh, uh, I, you know, things are going well. I think things are, you know, things are stabilized. That's the word I would use for the night. Uh, I you'll agree. Get the, you'll, get, you'll get the division. you got the Flames currently in first at 38 points, and then you got the Sharks who seem to be start and stop all year long. They lost a one-goal game last night. Uh, they're at 33 points along with the Knights. Uh, and, and then you have the Ducks at 35 points who also lost last night. And then they have the Oilers who have – played a little bit better of late, and they're at 32 points. So, uh, And then Arizona's behind them after that at 28. So, you know, basically you got five teams, if I did my math right, uh, between 32 and 38 points. So um, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see uh, how this race progresses. Well, yeah, for sure. Let's go back and, and talk about Cody Eakin. He started the season in camp wondering if he was going to be a healthy scratch for most of the season. If Stasny was healthy, he was penciled in to skate with Pacioretty and Tuck. And then what do you do with Halla? They tried him on the wing, and it was kind of iffy. So was he going to be third-line center? It's hard to it's hard to do something when you have a 30-goal center from last season and and move him to wing and and drop him down to, the, to a third-line winger role. So was he going to play third-line center? Um, and then with Stastny's injuries and then all his injuries, he can end up being the second-line center for this club, and he's he's tied for the lead to, for the team leading goals with 11, fifth with points 19, 
and your your unsung hero. Uh, I, I think that's pretty valid valid response. Pacioretty was off to a slow start. He missed time with some injuries, and he still seems to be hit and miss on on uh, just hit and miss. I'll leave it at that. Um, the first line, while playing real good hockey, isn't producing the offensive numbers maybe that they were at this point last season. So, uh, con- playing consistent hockey, though, the third line has been more missed than hit. Fourth line is what it is. Um, maybe their most consistent line all season. So, so right now you would have to say Cody Eakins, the MVP of this team. Um, he's been consistent since the get-go. I'm, I'm sure he didn't like um, – going into camp with question marks over his head and his plays reflected that. Um, and then when you get into the, we, you mentioned the, how the division stacking up right now with San Jose's loss last night, PGK has moved into the third playoff spot in Pacific and San Jose has dropped down into the second wild card spot, one point ahead of Minnesota and Edmonton. Edmonton on a, on a nice run since Hitch, Hitchcock took over, I believe they're now six, two and one. If, if my math is correct and neither one of us, well, you're more of a math guy than me, that's for sure. Um, but no, they've been playing well. And, and last Saturday's game, the two one loss, I kind of expected Edmonton um, to come out really hard and strong in that game. The uh, Vegas went in there and pretty much embarrassed that squad the Monday before, which led to the firing of McClellan and, and Hitchcock. And, you know, they wanted to come out and, and have a good effort in the follow-up game. And they did. But uh, then you come into Tuesday night, the Stanley Cup final rematch probably meant more to the Knights than Washington. Um, even so, there was uh, quite a lot of physical play in that game. It was it was really a statement game for the Knights to, to find out where they were. Uh, now that Nate Schmidt's been back, they've gone 8-2 and two since Nate Schmidt returned to the lineup. Um, I've said for forever now he's the heart and soul of that club, both on and off the ice. He's the motor that drives the boat. Um, there was a hit in last year's Stanley Cup final where um, Tom Wilson caught March or so late, uh, shoulder to shoulder. I didn't think it was is dirty. It was it was definitely a hard hit, and the puck was was gone. Um, rang Marshall's bell, and he really wasn't the same for the rest of the series. And the first time they played this year was in Washington, and Tom Wilson was suspended, oddly enough. Um, but the Tuesday night's game against the Capitals. Uh, Wilson was back in the lineup and this old saying in hockey, if you get mine, I'm going to get your number. And it may but not be this period, this game this year, but uh, we're going to get the number and we're, and we're going to get it paid back. And Reeves came out on a mission. There was one play early, I believe in the second period where um, Wilson got caught with a puck and Reeves laid him out and they went down the other way. And Ovechkin uh, tried to lay the body on Reeves and, you know, whatever. Uh, Reeves skated back towards the, the center of the ice and, and I was watching in the widescreen and Tom Wilson got up from the hit in the, in the, his offensive zone play and came back to the other end of the ice and Tom Wilson just targeted Reeves came all the way down to the, to that end of the ice and tried to throw a check back on Reeves. Reeves didn't have the puck, hadn't had the puck and, and Reeves just cold shouldered him and knocked him to the ice and the both players got up and Reeves was laughing in Tom Wilson's face. Um, and, and so that, that kind of set the tone for the rest of the night. Um, I don't know why there wasn't a penalty called on Tom Wilson at that point when you skate 80 feet down the ice targeting a player who just hit you and launch yourself into him. Now, Reese got the better of the exchange, but that's that's not a hockey play, as they say. Um, 
So I don't. The, I think the refs maybe could have got control of the game a little bit by calling a penalty on Tom Wilson for that. Um, that didn't happen, and then later on in the game, and I'll, I'll go back to last year's Stanley Cup final on the hit on Marcia. So when when uh, Tom Wilson was asked about the hit, um, he said, "Well, don't admire your pass." Which, I mean, that's an old adage in hockey, right? Duh. If you pass the puck, you better get your head up on a swivel because someone's probably coming for you. Now, later on in the second period, Tom Wilson took the puck inside the blue line and, and tipped it, you know, one-touch pass. Um, and, and Reeves had him lined up and shoulder-to-shoulder hit. There was no head contact. Uh, it was a, it, you know, a lot of people were saying it was a suspendable hit. I don't think so. I even think the game misconduct was too much. Um, the puck possession rule in the NHL rule book says that the person who had the puck last is considered to be in possession of the puck and is legal to be hit. Um, that's why the Wilson hit in last year's finals probably wasn't a dirty play. Um, it was definitely an interference, but I don't think it was a dirty play because Marshall had had the puck last. Um, and same thing with this. And when, when Wilson passed the puck, he was watching it go. And Reeves lined him up and lit him up, unfortunately, and we don't like to see anybody get hurt. But uh, Wilson's helmet came off, and he hit his head on the ice, and I haven't seen him seen him back yet. But, you know, you don't want to see him get hurt, but you, I, I'm a, I'm an old-school guy. If you get ours, we'll get yours kind of a guy. I mean, that's policing the game. That's what you have a Ryan Reeves for. And I'm sure at some point Wilson will, will – uh, and if he hasn't already, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris. Um, I don't. That's the way Wilson plays. He's got to understand. You know, he said, "Don't admire your paths," and he was doing just that. And and Reeves set the tone and, and lit him up a little bit. Unfortunately, he did hit his head on the ice and got hurt on the play. But you know, when you're Tom Wilson, you got to take. You know, if you're going to dish it out, you're going to have to take it at some point. And, and the Knights went on to score a couple quick goals at the start of the third period and went on to win that game. And then, you know, it could have been a, a classic letdown game. You have that much emotion and physicality spent on the Tuesday night. And they got they had a two-goal lead against Chicago and then fell behind, actually, and then came back to, and got the two points there against Chicago. Um, so a good week. They, they tip off today at 1 o'clock against the Kings. And then a tough game, and I just had it up in front of me. Uh, the Stars. They play the Stars at yeah. tomorrow. Tough, t- tough game against Dallas. they kind of a mirror image squad. They like to play fast. They will play a little bit physical, too, so that ought to be a good tilt tomorrow night at 6. Um, I, I, I haven't seen yet. Uh, I would expect maybe Subban to play today against the today, Kings. Today, I think, right? Yeah, and then Flurry would go tomorrow. I haven't seen verification of that, so I could be wrong there. Um, I know you saw the yeah, hit on Wilson. Wanna... What did you think about that? Yeah, I mean, look, um, I don't want to see anyone get hurt either, even players that I don't like or <laughs> hold in high regard, or, or, or hold in high regard, and Tom Wilson falls into both of those categories. Um, quite honestly, he plays – he plays uh, – his game is somewhere between edgy and beyond dirty and dangerous uh, at all yeah. times. So, it, it, it you know, at best-case scenario, it's beyond edgy. And, um, you know, with that hit, a beyond edgy hit, um, yeah. But, like you said, what, you know, kind of goes around, comes around. And, you know, I'm hoping that 
although this is probably ridiculous, but, uh, you know, in life we all get those kind of light bulb moments. Like, you know, maybe you're a person who drives way, you know, 10, 20% more aggressively than you should, and then you do something stupid and you avoid a situation. And I like to think you take, you, you know, if it's, you know, a light or a stop sign or whatnot, and you pull over and you're like, what am I doing? Like, I, I, I shouldn't be doing this. And I'm hoping that Tom Wilson, like, realizes that, I mean, I would think he would have anyway or before it happened to him, that all these hits he's put on people that have really hurt a lot of guys, even if for a short term that there'd be a light bulb moment, I wouldn't count on it. But, yeah, I mean, look, you're going to play that way. Uh, I, have no, I don't want to see tiddly wings out there. Uh, there's nothing wrong. I can, we can count the guys, uh, good guys, good players who play hard, play fiscal, there's one out here with the Islanders and Matt Morton, but, you know, I can tell you that those guys, they don't play dirty, you know, so yeah, there's, uh, a big he, there's a big difference, so he needs to take stock of that, uh, I thought it was an edgy hit, I don't, I, you know, I don't have a problem with him not getting suspended, uh, maybe that's my subconscious working because it was Tom Wilson, if it was somebody else, but at the same token, if it was somebody else, it probably wouldn't have happened to that veracity, but any any hoot, uh, yeah. So you know, there was like I said, it was a good. Like you said, there was probably more of a. Obviously, it was more of a. And it has circled the calendar game for the night than than the Caps. But the bottom line is, they need the two points. They got the two points, especially after a nice streak. You didn't want to start a losing streak, uh, and then they did what they had to do against Chicago. So, you know, the one the other point I wanted to bring up was we talked about on last week's show of how much Flurry has played this week, and Flurry played all three games last week as well. So he's up to yeah. 26 games played. Uh, they got the back-to-back today. I mean, they're in L.A. this afternoon, and then they got a 6 o'clock game tomorrow. So that's a quick turnaround. you got to figure that Subban's going to play in one of those games. And then they yeah, go I'm on. Just a, uh, just just uh, the Vegas Golden Knights account on Twitter's um, – said Flurry is playing today, and I guess that means that the two points in division, even though the Kings are, are way down at the bottom of the barrel, that uh, the two points in the division are more important than the, the two points against Dallas, I guess, four-point game against two-point game. So we could look for Subban to play against Dallas. I would imagine Maybe. so. <laughs> I mean, we talked about we don't want to beat this horse to uh, to beat, beat this horse to death, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you, you know, again, the the amount of minutes he's logged, he's fine and all that. I get it, but uh, you know, you got the back quick, a very quick back to back with a little travel involved, and then you know, then they go, then they head east and they play four games in six days, right? Do I have that right? Wednesday to Monday. So yeah. Yeah, they play the three local teams here in the New York area. They got the Islanders, the Rangers, and Devils. I know they start with the Islanders, and then they finish up in Columbus. So uh, you got to figure Subban's going to play at least one of those games. Uh, but they got to be careful here. But uh, again, we'll we'll have to monitor that as it goes. Uh, but overall, things are things you know heading in the right direction now. Uh, just keep keep stabilizing, keep keep the wins uh, you know going up. Um, keep building. Obviously, the way the yeah, keep building. The way you know, look, the way the Central has been playing this year. I know Minnesota's kind of cooled off a bit, but you know, it, it's it's not unreasonable to think that both wild cards come from the Central. I know, right as of today, the the Sharks have the second wild card, but 
they could wind up being that if you're in the Pacific, uh, you know, only three teams from the Pacific make the playoffs. So uh, they're, in, you know, they're in a much better position than they were a couple of weeks ago, and you know, hopefully they can uh, they can kind of build off that. Uh, going east is never easy. Playing four games in six days is never easy. Uh, you know, they're playing a bunch of decent teams, I would call them, and, and Columbus was pretty good, although lately they've given up a ton of goals. So, um, so you know, there's no reason to think that they'll, they won't come away with a couple uh, couple wins uh, on that four-game trip, hopefully not the first game. Sorry. Sorry, Vegas. But, uh, uh, <laughs> Understandable. But, but, uh, but like I said, I think things are tending in the right direction. I also read that Stasny – you know, maybe we could see him, I would say, maybe right after Christmas kind of thing. I was reading that he could be getting close to coming back. I haven't seen yeah, an update on Hollow, so. He's been, okay, skating, so maybe. Uh, he's been skating on his own. So okay. you, when, once you start skating on your own, you're pro- it depends on, you know, what it was and the severity of it. You're probably a couple of weeks away from contact and practice, and then you need to get a few few full practices under your belt. And then, you know, we were talking about Cody Eakin and the third line being a mess. Is it – I mean, let me ask you, if you're Coach Gallant, do you park Stasny in that second-line spot he was penciled into, or do you put Stasny back on the third-line center, which I think he's more uh, prototypical third-line center at this point in his career with face-offs uh, top ten in the league the last three years, uh, maybe not as fast as, as Tuck and Pacioretty, so do you, do you put him on that third line and try and stabilize that? Or or do you move Eakin back into his third line spot and disrupt that chemistry? I think the answer to that question, and I'm I, I'm not going to give you an answer, but I'm going to give you what the, the question that needs to be answered, that will be the answer to that question, is what is better for the Vegas, long, uh, Vegas Golden Knights long term, both for, you know, the rest of the regular season and knock on wood, presumably for the playoffs. Is it you know, is it better to have Stasny on that second unit and Egan on that third unit? Um, and, you know, it, it seems to me that was the original plan. I know Egan's playing really well. Um, and, you know, and again, the third, he, he, it's not like his minutes are going to drastically diminish, diminish going to the third line. So I think you have to look at that even if the first couple of weeks that Stasny comes back, right, uh, odds are you might take, you know, a little bit of a, a hit during that time, but you've got to, you know, in terms of where Eakin is at right now, playing, Stasny coming back from the injury, but you've got to, you've got to look at the, the big picture, the long view. So I would think that they would go Stasny, but having said that, uh, and nothing against Coach Gallant, uh, using that same philosophy, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't be playing uh, Marc-Andre Fuller 26 out of 30 games, as we've <laughs> talked about. So, and that falls under the same category. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, you can make the argument, put Stasny on the third line for at least the first couple of weeks, let him ease, you know, so ease him in as much as you That's can. That's where I fall. And, yeah, and, and then I make fall the in switch. that category. Because depth yeah, down the so center is important. Yeah, and when no, you, absolutely. When you have a I mean, player like Stasny, if you limit his minutes a little bit, you know, it was a leg injury, so you don't want him – too many minutes, right? But then I, I, Stasny could be a pretty valuable penalty killer. So if you're not using Stasny in that second-line role, you could use him more. You know, you could get his minutes back up by playing him on the penalty kill. Um, although the Vegas Golden Knights penalty kill 
I believe is first overall at this point in time, sir. Second, second, okay. uh, second to Arizona, believe it or not, with a 90.1 percentage. But Vegas has the second best penalty kill percentage in the league. And if if you do want to put Stasny down there and maybe ignite the third line a little bit, um, although stick tap to Lindbergh, he's come in and done a pretty good job. Or and and with with Carr being scratched. Um, uh, I, I think maybe you're, you increase your strength. You know, I like making strong things stronger. And I think with Stastny, uh, he could build that third line up a little bit, at least for the first couple of weeks. And he can also make your penalty kill stronger. So I, I fall on don't fix what's not broken. And this, the second line has been playing pretty pretty darn good hockey. <laughs> Excuse me. So I, I fall on the bring Stastny back in the third line role, you know, bring him in slowly, increase his minutes with some penalty kill time, and and go from there. That's where I fall. You know, like you said, play to your strengths. So when you look at uh, Stastny's game, uh, he's he's a good offensive player. He's not a great offensive player. Where his uh, where his super strengths are is actually playing a two hundred foot game, uh, playing yeah. uh, playing playing uh, defensively, you know, on the defensive end, if you will, as a forward uh, on faceoffs, on the penalty kill, all those things he gets high marks for. He's like a notch below offensively from from those things. Like I said, he's those other things. He's a B plus to an A minus, if you will, and he's probably like a B offensively now. But when you put the whole package together, that's really good. So he could, he's a guy who who could slide in on the second line, or he can slide in on the third line, depending upon uh, your roster. So uh, yeah, we'll see. Hopefully, like I said, and also keep in mind the league shuts down for a couple of days. Um, I think uh, from Christmas Eve to a day or two after Christmas. So that could give them a little extra time as well. So maybe that first game back at the towards the end of the year, around the 28th or the 29th, when, when teams come back after Christmas, that could be where we would see him uh, if all things go well. But let's jump into got a few minutes before Doug Mellon joins us from the Seattle Sinbin. So it's finally over. William Nylander signed literally at the 11th hour. Um, six years and fifty-five minutes, million. I think. Yeah, oh yeah, something like that. With yeah, with five minutes to go, six years, six point nine million. Um, interesting. He got a little bit better on the annual uh, number than David Pasternak. Uh, and you see what Pasternak did last year. You see what he's doing this year. Look, uh, they had to get it done. At the end of the day, there wasn't a deal out there that worked for them, both in the short and the long term. Nylander uh, will probably need a little time to get rolling uh, to be the normal Nylander, but uh, for this year, uh, they you know they need to have uh, their team intact, so that's a good thing. But there's no doubt in my mind that whatever two things in terms of big picture for me, whatever their thought process was of well where we need to get these guys after signing John Tavares to his deal on July 1 in terms of Matthews, Moner, and Nylander to make the math work uh, for those four guys and the big picture for the whole salary cap, even though there was some good news about caps, potential cap ceiling for next year. Uh, it, 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 it seems very unlikely it's, gonna, it's going to work out to the numbers that they need them to work out with. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, however you slice and dice it, Matthews, Tavares, Nylander, and Moner are going to cost somewhere between 38 and $40 million against the cap for four players. So uh, I, I don't think, yeah, I think it's good. You know, so 
do I think William Nylander is going to get traded now between the deadline? Very doubtful. But once the season ends, uh, either Nylander or Marner, one of them, and my guess is it would probably be more Nylander. Uh, yeah. If it's not if it's not this coming summer, then look for it for the next uh, next summer, uh, uh, some sort of deal. And uh, due to the due to what we just talked about, and the other point I want to bring up for if you're Toronto is, you know, again, like I said before, the light bulb moment, uh, but in a different regard. This is kind of like, all right, take take a step back, take stock of what the heck just happened between with this negotiation, because guess what, you're going to have to go through it all over again this coming summer, but not with one guy, but with two guys in Marner and Matthews and. Mourner is probably a similar situation to uh, to Nylander in the regards of you know level of play, but Matthews is a whole different kettle of fish. So you want to evaluate internally. So basically, you don't go through this again with either one of them, let alone both of them, and saying, okay, what what do we have to do differently? And then realize also, guess what, guys? You know, asking someone. Uh, to take uh, 75%, uh, excuse me, 25% or 30% discount. I mean, we're, we're fooling ourselves. It's not going to happen. They're going to sit down. No. And they obviously, shouldn't. yeah. So, yeah, and they shouldn't. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, also Neilander's numbers are good news for a few, for other guys out there in terms of like uh, uh, Rattanen of Colorado, the wingers, if cool. you will, the young wingers out there. Uh, he, his his number is going to be above that and. Probably maybe if he Patrick keeps it Liney, up in the I think has a contract yeah. coming, dude. Yeah, so that there's going to be some, you know, those guys are going to get probably somewhere Ten. depending somewhere between at least seven and a half to nine million. Uh, uh, like I said, the ceiling went up a bit, uh, or it's projected to go up a bit, but the salaries just keep going up and up and up. So uh, overall, good news for the Leafs, but uh, big picture. I, I I find it hard to believe they're going to be able to do what they need to do with the amount of cap space that these four players are going to wind up taking. You know what I want to see? I want to see a team like Arizona um, offer Sheet Marner next year. Seven years, $77 million. Um, we know Arizona Nobody just Nobody does eat. that, though. I'd love to no, see I it. Mean, I mean, I don't want to – I mean, it, it's hard, it seems hard to believe. A, <laughs> they don't even talk to the player. In the CBA. Um, they don't, it doesn't even seem like they talk to the player. The other teams, you know what it is? It's like, look, we won't do that to your players. You don't do that to our players. It's an un, it seems like it's an unwritten rule. You don't need yeah. to read stories that a team like Arizona or the Islanders or whoever who have camp space even like approach the player because they can talk to them. I mean, I can't imagine this day and age of social media where everything gets reported that that's gone under the radar. You never hear anyone of another club talking to players in this situation. So the only uh, difference here know, is that um, you you know you said uh, we won't do it to your player, you won't do it to ours. Well, two things to that point: um, if Arizona offer sheets Marner, um, a what you know which which player. On Arizona, who do, are you worried about losing? And B, Toronto doesn't have the cap space to turn around and and offer sheet anybody from Arizona. There can't be a, a tit for tat kind of situation there, um, because Toronto well, the is, isn't going to have available cap space. 
I'll give you a better one. What about Austin Matthews? Let's say I'm not Ooh. to sound like uh, I gotta figure uh, they would uh, match uh, anything. Thrown it no, off I know Matthews. that, but uh, not to sound like a jilted lover. But what if the Islanders on July one, who, who already have a bunch of cap space, and will probably have a bit more? Well, see, that'd be great. What if they what, what if they sign Austin Matthews to an offer sheet for fifteen, 15 million, million a year? Yeah. You know, seven years, and, and seven years, say, fifteen million. Say, go ahead, match it. Go ahead, match I love it. it. And, and and they That'd be great, to. right? So imagine what that would that I would mean, give us a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah, this is this is something, and that's a player where someone might say, you know what, for the William Neal, nothing against the William Nealands or the Mitch Mourners and guys like that of the world, who are really good players, uh, but for uh, 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 one of the top players in the game, and would say, look, I'm sorry, but Business is business, and you know what? Not for nothing, but you took our franchise player, and I know you're probably going to match. But I'm going to give myself a, I'm going to give myself as little, even though it's the uh, the percentage of it happening is almost between slim and none. I'm going to give myself a chance to see if I can get an Austin Matthews, and I'll gladly give you give up the draft picks. Hey, I'll tell you what, too. It it just occurred to me. Lou Lamarillo don't mess around. He doesn't care about uh, we're not going to do you. He's not – Lou Lamarillo will do it if if it's – if it's. you know what I'm saying? You you have the right GM for that situation right now. Sweet Lou will throw down. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Absolutely. I love it. Yeah, no. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, yeah, they're going to have to have their ducks in a row and probably behoove them especially Matthews, to have them sign before July 1. Absolutely. I'd love to see that. I can't wait till next summer to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's skip ahead, though. We're going to have to we're gonna, we're gonna have to, to cut this segment short a little bit. Right now, uh, Doug Mellon from the Seattle Sinbin is on the line. He's joining us on the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Doug, welcome to the show. Thanks for taking some time to talk with us today, sir. Hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, well, welcome to the National Hockey League. Uh, the 32nd franchise was voted voted on and approved. Um, how, how, I know I know you've been following this for a long time. Uh, Seattle Sinbin's Twitter account was opened up February 2015. Ours was March 2015. So we've we've been in the same same boat for quite a while. Um, how did it feel? It seemed like this was the worst kept secret since sliced bread, but even so, once it was official, uh, how did that, how did that feel for you and, uh, the, the community there in Seattle? Oh, I think we're all ecstatic about it. I mean, um, it's a market that's been bursting at the seams for some time. It's been a decade since the Sonics left. And I think fans are really ready for another winter sport. Um, local groups have been pushing this for some time. Um, there's been some significant setbacks in the progress so far. So to actually have it here, it's great. And I think fans are going to be really excited to watch it unfold. Yeah. Well, the originally um, going back, we it, behind the scenes, of course, but Seattle and Vegas were supposed to go in at the same time in 2016. And then we started learning terms of memorandum of understanding and uh, environmental impacts reports and Seattle City Council, and, you know, once all that got into play, um, the Vegas Golden Knights actually went in in 2017 on their own, as everybody knows. Um, I was hoping either Quebec City or Seattle would join them, uh, kind of a sister city status, but as it turns out, 
and Seattle's going to be be happy about this, is that the Golden Knights got um, their pick of 30 other teams and didn't have a competitor in that expansion draft. Seattle is also going to have that luxury. Um, that's that I think that's pretty important for the uh, whoever that general manager is going to be to to be able to have a solo expansion draft. I wanted to ask you, um, the Golden Knights paid $500 million, and I don't know if it's due to their success or, or inflation or what have you. Seattle uh, is going to have to pony up $650 million. Is, has there any, been any talk, and, and do you know really what that's attributed to? Um. No, not really. I mean, there's a lot of markets that want to come into the league. I mean, you got yeah. Quebec, you got Houston. Um, there's a there's a lot of it's a supply and demand at this point. Um, luckily, we have a group here that's willing to pony up the cash for it. Um, and I'm sure if another team comes in, as it's already been discussed, even though the ink's still drying on this one, that it's going to be even higher. Now, what one thing. Uh... The Vegas Golden Knights are exempt from the expansion draft, but they're also exempt from the di- the distribution of that $650 million. Um, I think that's a, a good deal. And then if Seattle going forward, if there's another expansion down the road um, within proximity, maybe five years, I think they should kind of push for that same deal. Talk a little bit about the ownership group and how they were able to come in when the, the Soho Arena deal kind of fell apart. And talk a little nuts and bolts on the deal making that led to the Key Arena being remodeled in an NHL-friendly environment. Yeah, I mean, it's a long process. It's a confusing <laughs> one. Yeah. Um, the city was almost split on it. There was a lot of the Soto people and then people who wanted Key Arena. But at the end of the day, this group of Tim Laiwiki and his brother Todd, um, and then the owners as well, Jerry Bruckheimer, all these guys that came in and quickly got something done. They made a lot of promises and have yet to um, fail on those promises. And I think fans really started to realize that they're 100% in on this. Well, Tim Laiwiki, with his his, uh, AEG background and his background with the Los Angeles Kings, I thought was when his name was announced, I thought that was a key piece in – getting something done because he knows he, he, the a, he was an AEG uh, commissioner or president or vice president or what, whatever, very high up in the AEG. So he knows the uh, stadiums, he knows stadium deals and also being involved with the Kings, he knows hockey. And I thought Tim Lawicki was a, a very big piece. And then Jerry Bruckheimer also, um, he wanted, he was on the verge of buying the Penguins in 2009 and moving them to Las Vegas. And, um, because the economy was so bad at the time. I think the NHL kind of put the kibosh on that then. But Bruckheimer's been attached with hockey in Las Vegas for quite a while. So I thought I thought that guy's enthusiasm for the sport and obviously the money behind Jerry Bruckheimer um, and Tim Iwicki were both key pieces to add to that ownership group. Yeah, I mean, Tim Tim knows this process. And this company in the Ogre group has a long history with arenas. Um They've been part of the Boston Garden, or what's now called the TD Garden. Um, they had say in Little Caesars in Detroit, Madison Square Garden. They're currently working with the Islanders to get some stuff done. Um, Dave's been traveling around. I know he's looking at facilities. Been, he's been to Chicago and Minnesota. Um, we've got, like you said, Jerry Bruckheimer, right? Top gun in the Pirates of the uh, Caribbean. Uh, we expect an electric atmosphere here, and when they say that it's going to be a world-class facility, I tend to believe them just because of the names that are involved with this process. 
All right, Doug, let me bring in my co-host, Chris. I know he wants to jump into the conversation here. We've, we went, you know, we've been, we went through all of the expansion stuff. So let me bring in Chris here on the Vegas Hockey Podcast, talking with Doug Mellon from Seattle. Send in, Chris. Hey, Doug, great to have you on the show. It was interesting. I was thinking about this interview. I was, uh, within the last day or so, uh, after practice, I saw online interview with Matt Barzell, who played for the Seattle Thunderbirds and, uh, how well that they have uh, drawn in the passion for for, for that uh, for that junior team, and he was raving of how much this market's going to work, and uh, um, so uh, you know it's it's great on on so many levels. Uh, so what's the latest in terms of you know team? I know it's still being bandied about. I know there's plenty of time, but is there any early? clubhouse favorites in terms of a, a team name or a, a team colors? Yeah, so in terms of the team name, I mean, that's the million-dollar question, right? Um, there are certainly fan favorites. You've got the Sockeyes, the Totems, the Kraken, the Metropolitans. Um, but ultimately, it comes down to Gary Bettman and the league. They have the final say on this. What I do know is that they have a long list. Um, Seattle Hockey Partners does. They're submitting it to the league. The league will give them input, and then they're going to try and whittle it down to three. Um, and then with those three, they're going to get fan input. I don't believe it's going to be a tournament. Um, I know a lot of fans want that. I don't think that's going to happen. But they'll definitely be searching out and looking for what fans want, and I think at the end of the day, they're going to come up with something creative, um, and it's going to sound professional. What 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 about uh, team colors? Uh, are they, uh, you know, I mean, the Seahawks and the, and the Mariners, there's a little, you know, commonality. Will they kind of tend towards that, or will they go out on their own? Yeah, so you've got the, the green and the gold. Um, the right. green really defines the Pacific Northwest, right? But it sounds like from talking with Tim and Todd that they don't want to impede on the Seattle Supersonics, who are green, white, gold. Um, it, I know a lot of the marketing nowadays is using red and black, and I don't know if that's 100% indicative of what's coming down the road. Um, but I wouldn't be shocked if we do see red and black. Um, I know they had the Washington Wild jersey on the stadium or on the stands when they made the announcement, but that's a group that's been involved in this process since day one. And I know a lot of the national media really attached to that, thinking it was a sign of what's to come and a hint of what they're looking at. But that group's been here since day one, and I don't. I, th- I think it's still a great unknown. They just hired a team to go ahead and work on it. It's a um, team that's worked on global campaigns. So I think we're going to see something special down the road, but it's a guessing game at this point. So let's talk GM here. Now, interesting with Vegas, when they officially got accepted to the league, it was a very quick turnaround. They, they basically, the expansion draft was roughly, a, it was a year away. And then, then, you know, they had to hire a GM in, in a short order. Uh, granted, they, they had already put in a lot of legwork. Uh, so Seattle has, more of a cushion in terms of uh, the timeline. I mean, the expansion draft is not until, if I have my math is right, June of 2021. Um, yep. So I know Dave Tippett, the former Arizona Coyotes uh, head coach, has been consulting with the owners. Uh, will he lead uh, in terms of the interviewing process uh, for for the GM, and then the GM obviously will hire the staff, or is Dave Tippett a, a possibility? Is uh, and when will that process? You think when will they start that process? So originally they wanted to do it 15 months out, um, but now that we've got that extra year, who knows? 
Um, I know from talking with Todd that they are not marking off the table. They're not taking off the table of hiring somebody two years out. Um, in terms of Dave Tibbet, he will have a major role in that decision. But if you take a step back and look around, he played, what, 16 years playing hockey, um, started with the Arrows back when, like, 94, um, left Phoenix in 2017. That takes a toll on life and family. Um, it sounds like he's really done with the grind of hockey. So I'd be shocked if he's actually the GM or the coach, but he'll definitely have a huge say in who it is. Um, I know a lot of fans want Steve UI. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but then there's also yeah, Kelly down with you guys, right? Kelly, I mean, he's a two-time WHL champion, five Memorial Cup appearances. He knows prospects. He knows the game of hockey. He's a great hockey mind. He knows the expansion draft. He just went through it. Um, could you ask for more when it comes to a GM? And I think that's something that they're really going to talk with. Let's not do that. So, <laughs> so before I hand you back to Mark, um, what can you tell us about uh, the arena? I know there's a makeover going on. Oh, actually, wait, hold on. I missed a very, very important question. So we've been uh, banding about, uh, you know, we the only question with Seattle wasn't so much will they get in. We all knew they would. The question was would the puck drop uh, in October of 2020 or in October of 2021? And, you know, we're not going into a debate about the CB, CBA upcoming implications, but my question is, how disappointed, I, I mean, look, big picture, everyone's thrilled, I get it, but how much, a little bit of a disappointment was it from both the ownership and the fan base, like, gee whiz, not for nothing, but really, we, we can't get this thing going for the 2020-2021 season, we can't have our, uh, join the league in October 2020, I mean, that's almost two years away, uh, was that being talked about, or... Uh, not yeah. really. Absolutely. I mean, the whole marketing campaign when it first came out was Seattle Hockey 2020. Winter's coming back 2020. Um, I, I had heard a couple days headed into the Board of Governors meeting that it was going to be 2021. Um, and fans are really depressed on the issue about why they believe that the league didn't think the arena was going to be done while OBG was saying the arena was going to be completed. But like you said, I think most of it has to do with the upcoming CBA discussions, um, who wants to launch a team during the lockout. Um, also, if the arena isn't done and things do happen in big projects like this, then they end up sure. starting their season on the road, right? I mean, you remember the Vegas first game in Vegas against Arizona when they came out and scored, what, four goals in the first period? We'd miss out on yeah. something like that. Um, also, there's another option of opening up in a different arena, and we got arenas going on um, in the Pacific Northwest. But they're small arenas. they got 5,000 seats in them. You don't want to do that. Yeah. So I think fans are bummed out slightly. But at the end of the day, we're getting a hockey team. We're getting a new world-class facility. I think everybody, the mood is up. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. Uh, uh, again, kind of a big-picture uh, mentality. And quite honestly, not, not to uh, change the discussion, but if they you were coming in in 2020 without a deal currently signed, it would just be – Giving, giving so much leverage to the Players Association, saying basically yeah. there's no way you guys can lock us out now. Uh, I yeah, mean, and, you know, negotiations are about leverage and pressure points and all and and, and all that. So even if though those negotiations are going better than they have in the past, which isn't saying much, uh, I, I was just curious to 
uh, curious about that. So uh, I, I guess my last question uh, before I hand you off to Mark is, uh, so the arena, I mean, how excited is everyone? It's getting a huge makeover and um, that this is going to be a special place for, uh, for people to go to? Yeah, I mean, it's easy to call it a renovation or a makeup or a rebuild, but it's not. Um, if you completely tear down a broken house and rebuild it from a new foundation, you wouldn't call it a renovation. You'd call it a new house. The only thing that's staying here is the roof, and it's because it's a designation of a landmark. Um, this facility is going to be completely redone. There's an amazing group with OVG building it, um, the Arena Alliance. Like we, we already discussed their experience with arenas. Um, concert levels are going to be unbelievable here. It's it's a 17,500-seat arena that's going to be completely redone. It's not a renovation. It's a brand-new facility. Um, so it's exciting to see what they do with it. All right, we're talking with Doug Mellon from Seattle Sin Bin. You can follow him on Twitter at Dougie Mellon, uh, M-E-L-L-O-N, and also uh, at Seattle Sin Bin as well. Um, going back a little bit to the front office, I'll uh, 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 Kelly McCrimmon's hands off. Don't don't go there. But I'll give I'll give you a guy who might be might be someone to take an eye on. And he he was working with Mr. Foley in an advisory capacity. And after everything was settled, um, and and the team was in place, he was named vice president. Uh, that's Murray Craven, and he played for a long time in Vancouver. He was on their Stanley Cup team uh, against the Rangers in two or ninety four. I'm, I'm dating myself. Um, but he, he came in during the construction of T-Mobile, had them tear down the locker rooms and the training portions of the of the build, and and redesigned them at, from an NHL friendly uh, perspective, and and it was invaluable to Mr. Foley on on a number of different levels. So it, I, for me, he would I don't know how interested he would be to go through that process again because I think like like you were talking about Dave Tippett he he played 18 years in the National Hockey League so going through that grind and then settling in Vegas I don't know if he would be open to going through a whole expansion process again but um, yeah, if you had, to, if you had to make something. a pick between Kelly McCrimmon and, and Murray Craven that's a tough road to hoe. When Bill Foley did say this week in the press that he doesn't anticipate anybody wanting to go to Seattle, but he would certainly allow um, his guys to talk with that that ownership group if they if they wanted to. Um, but he didn't foresee anybody wanting to leave. Yeah, I mean, so Tyler Wiki has deep connections with Bill Foley. Um, yeah. I know Dave Tippett knows Kelly, and they've been in conversations throughout this process, just getting help um, with the process as it unfolds. But Kelly McCrimmon, I mean, he's a guy who has committed to projects, right? He didn't want to leave the WHL. I, he, he could easily be a GM for any team in the NHL, and he didn't want to do it because he wanted to see the project through. So I'd be yeah. shocked if he actually left Vegas for that purpose alone. Well, all right, we're just about out of time. Um, uh, tell everybody where they can find your, your guys' stuff and your content on, on the Internet and, and how they can get get in touch with you. Yeah, so uh, Seattle Sinbin on Twitter, on Facebook, on all the social media, um, SB Nation as well. Follow me at Dougie Mellon at Twitter. Um, but at the end of the day, we're looking forward to seeing you guys in the Pacific Division coming up. Yeah, 10-4, 10-4. Uh, good, good luck, too, to uh, the Seattle Kraken or, or wh wherever it ends up being. I was looking around uh, getting ready for the show, and there's like a, a, a anti-fish name. Uh, yeah. Core. 
that is is starting to rear their heads and saying we're not the Seattle Salmon, we're not the Seattle Steelheads. Um, there, there's a there's a large contingent of the Seattle fans that are no fish names, no fish names. So whatever the case is, um, good luck to you guys and congratulations. Uh, definitely a well deserved hockey market. There's going to be built in rivalry there with Vancouver and the rest of the Pacific Division. So it certainly fills a footprint for the National Hockey League. And good luck and be in touch. We'll we'll definitely have you back on the show as we get farther into the process and talk about how things are going up in Seattle. Absolutely. Thanks for the time. Enjoy the rest of the season, guys. All right. You too. Thanks again. Thanks, Dougie. Hey, hey cheers. All right. That was that was Doug Mellon from Seattle Sinbin and the SB Nation uh, site for Seattle. Um, a lot of good stuff happened in Seattle, Chris. What do you take away from that? Yeah, no, it's all good. Um, like you said, worst kept secret. Look, we, we we've talked about this in the past. Fourth largest market. It's a great sports city. Uh, it expands the map for the NHL. Uh, it, it, it's it's just you know the the, the Seattle Thunderbirds were well acquainted with from. It's been a couple Islander prospects over the last couple of years who played for them, particularly Matt Barzell, and how well they they do and how well they're followed and attended. This is a no-brainer. The only, and again, I'm not trying to put cold water, the only downer about this whole process is that the fact that they're dropping the puck in 2021 from a 10,000-foot, yeah. that's the right expression, view, and I get it. Maybe the NHL is just protecting itself. Um, you know, I get it. The arena may, you want to be 1,000% sure. This will be ready to roll when Vegas was, you know, on that quick timeline. The arena was already done uh, at that moment. They could play hockey there with, you know, uh, the next day if they wanted. Yep. So, yeah. So so I get all that, but it does make me a tad nervous on another issue uh, in terms of, oh, he's going to face another lockout. Uh, but that's, that's, that's a different topic altogether. But I'm thrilled. The one thing I will say about the team name, I just hope they pick something kind of unique. Uh, you know, like I've seen, uh, you know, the the Whalers, like you said, fish, but uh, I've seen the Whalers. Well, there was the Hartford Whalers. And, We're not doing that. Uh, you know, I've seen, I've seen like, the Seattle no. Storm, and that just sounds, like, so generic. And there's a lot of a lot of sports teams, both uh, professionally, or at least collegially, uh, on the college level with Storm. Or, you know, I've even seen, and I can't the Las Vegas Knights were The Las Vegas Junior Knights were the Las Vegas Storm before the Vegas Golden Knights got involved. Oh, uh, okay. And and I've also seen um the Metropolitans and I know there's like uh there's a history with that name with Seattle, but it's on the uh, I mean like that te- Yeah, so I don't know, that doesn't really you know, so much as a hockey fan from far from far away from Seattle not knowing a lot about Seattle history. I, I don't know, I just hope they do something unique and fun and I'm sure they'll 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 they'll, they'll their mindset is the same thing. So yeah. uh, it'll be interesting to see. I, I, I would I would think it's going to take a little bit of time because that's a big thing in terms from a marketing angle, and uh, you know that imp- imp- impacts you know picking the team name and the team colors is a big to do, and uh, it takes some time, and they have time. So I mean, yeah. not that they should be uh, asleep on the switch when it comes to team name, team colors, general but manager. But don't rush it, right? You know, it's that happy medium. So uh, I would be surprised. This. So if there's one, if there's one critique I have of the Golden Knights, it's the 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 name, uh, the whole name thing. I think 
could have been handled better. They they early in the process, uh, I was at a meet and greet where Mr. Foley was there and a bunch of the fans and media. Um, he he said there was going to be a fan vote and that didn't happen. And then we all know he wanted to be the Black Knights and the the Army keyboshed that on right. the trademark issue. And then uh, it went on and on and on and. Then they settled on the Golden Knights, which is actually the Army's parachute uh, squad. Um, right. I, I I think they could have handled, and and I think they then they got sued um, by a college that we, no one had ever heard of, and for trademark violations of the name. And then that wasn't finalized six to eight months after they were already playing hockey. Um, I if there's if there's one criticism, then I I think. Uh, in the whole process that they could have come up with, with, uh, uh, I don't know, some better way to handle the naming of the franchise. But at the end of the day, I think they, the Knights got the logo a hundred percent. They nailed that. Um, the team colors look really sharp. And, and I think that part of the design team hit a home run. Um, if, if they could go back in time, I'm sure they'd want to uh, change a few things with how they handled the naming of the franchise. And also, now Seattle, the big question when it comes to GM is the same question that Vegas had to answer and eventually did answer. And obviously, the interviewing process will will dictate where they go. But in a in a big again in a, in a vacuum, would they be better off hiring a very experienced hand, a la a guy like George McPhee, or would they be better off hiring one of the uh, hiring a kind of a young gun? who's ready to take that next step, who you could be your GM for the next 10, 15 years, if you will, who's like the number two in, uh, I think, uh, the guy, the kid, there's some guy in Columbus, is a young guy, if I read correctly, that, you know, who are throughout the league. Uh, and, again, because time is on their side, they can interview both candidates from both, from both groups and see, at the end of the day, it's who rises, right? At the end of the day, George McPhee didn't get the job because they said, oh, we got to get someone from this group, although they might have been leaning that way. He got the job because at the end of the day, after the interview, they said, that's our guy. You know, that, yeah. that's with anybody doing a hiring, that's what they should be saying. Uh, that's our guy or our gal, to be fair. Uh, hey, Ronnie Hextall um, might, might do a great job. Oh. Uh, Ron yeah. Hextall. Talk about it. I, I, I talked you, to him. You know, you, when, when, when he took over the Flyers, dude, they were in cap misery. Um, and in five years' time, he's turned that around totally. He's drafted very well. Um, and and if, if I, Carter Hart, I believe, is the, the future in net, if that guy comes up and he's what he's supposed to be, um, Hextall set that, that program up for the next five years um, pretty he's easily. A, you know what? He's a, He'd be a great pick. He would be a great pick because you nailed it on the head. He's both experienced. He's still a young guy. I mean, he's yeah. going to be around our age, right? I'm going to call that a young guy. I think he's still <laughs> in his he's in his late 40s, maybe his early 50s now. But he's still yeah, relatively no, a young guy. Sure. And yeah. and again, you can critique, you know, the Flyers what you will these last three four years. I think they've been an overachieving team. But one thing you have to give them kudos for is he did a great job of building the depth and building that franchise from where it was. And that's what, that's a big key, obviously yep. for an expansion team. So he, you got to think he is definitely going to be on someone shortlist. Now, is he going to be a guy that wants to get back when I say back on the wheel, literally doing, you know, GM stuff, because quite honestly, 
I mean, I guess, you know, there's always stuff to do. But if they even if they hire someone, let's say they hire someone uh, the week before the, the, uh, the draft in June in 2019, well, <laughs> it'll be two years before the expansion draft. So, I mean, I know they have to, have, they ha- have to hire their own staff, and you can always have these extra time to scout. Uh, but, Absolutely. you know. That's a long time. So I, don't I wonder. That. I, I wonder. Think, no, I think I know, if he had the time I, to put together his standpoint. amateur staff and and his pro staff, um, when when we talked to George McPhee, he was it was June, it, and and he was, you know, he had a year to to put his, yeah, his entire scouting together, he, put his put his entire office together. Yeah, yeah. He was at the end of July. Yeah, yeah. Less than a year. And and if you put it, give a guy an extra an extra year to build his staff, um, bring in his people, get comfortable with each other, build a game plan, and, and you're not kind of in a go 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 mode from the get go. And, and you could have your hands in the the arena, you can have your hands in the player development, you can have your hands in the front office development. I don't see that as as a bad thing. And get your scouts on the line, start familiarizing yourself with the, the draft rules, to hold mock drafts, everything the Knights were condensed into doing uh, 10, 11 months from when McPhee hiring to when they dropped the puck. Um, they could expand that out to 30 months. And it, it, it just seems like they'd be able to, to, you know, have that extra time and, and give it a, a very thorough, you know, investigation and execution of that process. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I, I I'd would be calling Hextall now. <laughs> yeah, I would think he would be very high on that list, uh, you know, to talk to if you wanted to do the interview. So uh, uh, from the standpoint of, like I said, there are going to be a, n- a number between now and, you know, the end of the season there will be at least a couple other openings. So will Hextall be a person of, you know, that sounds like a thrilling opportunity but we're, you know, we're not going to get hot and heavy in terms of picking players in the draft into, for another two years this June. Whereas if Team X or Team Y calls me after in April, I could just take over a franchise then and now. I don't know where that falls for him, you know. But he's got to be on that list. He's you got to make the phone call saying we want to talk with you and you know for for this position. Gauging the interest, so, all that. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I would think it would be very interesting because it's, a, it's an ex- exciting possibility, to say the least. So he's a name definitely to keep, to circle, to keep an eye out for. Obviously, having Vegas just gone through it, I think you brought up a, a McCrimmon and, and Craven a couple. And then, you know, again, you can highlight around the league, that, you know, who are the considered the top five young guns, young guns who are going to be the next. Uh, next, G- the GMs and waiting. Everyone in the league knows those kind of lists. So you got those that group, you know. And I'm sure that we can think of others, but I think Hextall would be a tremendous, it would be a tremendous hire for them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing, uh, and, I'm, and I'm not seeing when the Golden Knights were being considered for expansion, we had, uh, you know. 10,000 reasons why Vegas shouldn't have a hockey club, why expansion shouldn't happen, the, the talent pool will be diluted, uh, you know, you name it. Um, I'm not seeing any of that with Seattle. I, I, I think 
it, it's close enough to into the northwest that there's perceived to be um, a built-in a built-in market, if you will, that 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 part of it is going to take care of itself, and that the you know some of the critiques were just manufactured with bias against Vegas. Um, the, the people, too many people well, were swing shift you, here. Can I, can I yeah, tell you on and before on. why why I think people will bias against Vegas, especially someone of you know my my age, if you will. Sure. And I was never biased against Vegas. I forever, right? Forever. Anyone who's a big pro sports fan has said, well, if it's the NFL, Major League Baseball, the NBA, or the NHL, he said, well, you can't have a team in Vegas. We all know that, you know, when it comes to gambling and, uh, you know, the leagues don't want to go near that with a 100,000-foot uh, pole, Right. We, I mean, we heard that forever and ever and ever. Yeah. And ironically, ironically, all of them now are so different because, you know, how everyone feels about uh, the new sports uh, gambling laws and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, that now they look at, oh, well, wait a minute, look at all this money. You know, we, and it's, it's legal. And so whatever, so now it's like a complete, it's a complete 180. Uh, yeah. they, they will, you know, obviously the 1919 White Sox, uh, almost ruined the game of baseball. So that was that's always you know the, the last thing in the world anyone ever ever wants. But you know they're obviously they're past uh, all that, and they don't think it's a it, it's a it's something to uh, to fear. And I think somehow along the way over the time, because for the last I want to, you know better than I, but the last ten twenty years, I mean I, you always heard rumors about Vegas getting a professional sports team. And that was yep. always in the backdrop, always in the subconscious. And, you know, now that, you know, especially over the last couple of years, how how that part of the the law has changed and how the environment has changed. And obviously Seattle doesn't have that background, obviously, because Seattle is in Las Vegas and the, and the Strip and the casinos and all that kind of stuff. They, they, don't, they don't have that backdrop. So I think that's what, I think that's what, you know, uh, people – had their eyebrows up about Vegas uh, for for years, probably unfair. But uh, the irony is, it's completely it's a complete 180 now. And, and I think the success of the franchise had a lot to do with that. Um, if if uh, let's say that that the ticket sales fell flat and they came out and you know finished dead last. 40-point season and attendance was falling off at the end of the year, the the naysayers would, would be pounding on the NHL. See, told you so, not a good market, blah, blah, blah. Um, and the long-term success, I've always said, is is up in the air. Um, for, and it would be in any city. Um, you, you just don't know how that's going to work out. But I would, I, would, um, I would tell Seattle not to go light in the community involvement now and throughout the process. Um, you want your community interested, as and, and Bill Foley and his team did a great job of being out. Like I said, well, I was at a meet and greet in 2015, um, and there was literally at the most 40 people there, of which 10 were probably media, um, to, to, and that was the grassroots. And by the time you got to the uh, expansion 
reveal. There was 10,000, 15, 20,000 people at, at parties all around the city and the casinos um, when, when it was officially announced and, and so on and so forth. So I, I would say just because that it's perceived to be a slam dunk, don't go lightly in the community involvement if you're Seattle. Um, it's going to pay dividends down the road. And make make sure that you start generating the young fan base now. Uh, market it to the families. Market it to the kids. Start having hockey clinics if you're not already doing so. Um, get get that name. And again, I'll say get that name in place um, so you can start getting your merchandise and your brand in the community. Um, I think that the, as much work as the Golden Knights put into that, uh, and as little as the Raiders are doing, I, I can tell you from firsthand experience, it's, it's night and day with the, the level of community involvement between the Knights and the Raiders. And the, the fan base is going to reflect that when the Raiders finally do get here. Uh, I think those are all excellent points that you brought up. Little things that you don't really think about or the common person doesn't think about. Obviously, when you're running a new franchise, you have to think about that. So thanks again to Doug uh, Mellon. Uh, again, you can check him out at Dougie Mellon, D-O-U-G-I-E-M-E-L-L-O-N, on Twitter. And I don't have the Seattle Sinbin Twitter account, but if you just search Seattle Sinbin. Uh, uh, I, I think it's at that Seattle Sinbin. Okay, there you go. That makes it simple. So next yeah. week we will have Dan Har- Harrigan, good old good friend of the show, uh, join us. He did our preview show in September on the Atlantic Division. And the Atlantic is such a fascinating division. Obviously, Dan covers the Tampa Bay Lightning, and he does a million things uh, between writing articles on a weekly spot on Tampa Bay Radio and all that kind of stuff. But also, not just to dive in on Tampa, uh, who's arguably the best team in the league or best team in the East for sure, but what's going on in the Atlantic Division. You know, Toronto playing better than playing, you know, having a really good year. Uh, obviously, Buffalo being probably the biggest surprise uh, in the NHL this year. Uh, and kind of going through the, you know, and obviously some of the other teams, uh, Detroit playing better than expected, Montreal a little bit better than expected. So we kind of want to see who's the contenders, who's the pretenders, and Dan will break it all down for us uh, next week. And then we take our Christmas break. I know we just had the Thanksgiving break. But then we're back first week of January, and I believe, sir, unless something comes up, we're every Saturday until after July 1st free agency, which is uh, that's a, that's a, we, we, have a, we have a long race to go uh, at that point. But looking forward to it. Yeah, de- yeah, definitely. And if something happens with the Golden Knights or, or anything around the league that we need to cover, we can always jump in and do, do a quick pod. Yeah. Um, during the uh, during the Christmas break, that's not a, a firm hiatus. If something happens that we need to get into it, we'll definitely come back and, and put on another show for you guys. Um, we appreciate you guys this year um, jumping along for the ride. We all we always see see our numbers growing every week, and, and we appreciate all the new listeners and the consistent followers of the show. Uh, that's going to do it for this week. Dougie did a great job. Uh, we got some Vegas Golden Knights hockey in less than an hour, so I'm gonna get tuned up for the sh- for the game, if you will. Oh, yeah. um, not King, too heavily King tuned Knights. up. 
I got to go pick up my daughter uh, <laughs> in a little bit. So I'm going to save a little bit of the tune-up for after I get back. Uh, maybe the second period, we'll, we'll do a little priming of the pump, if you will. Um, but, yeah, we got Kings Knights and then Dallas, Dallas Knights tomorrow night. Uh, if everything goes right, they may be within one point of first place in the division at the end of the weekend. So good, good times for the Golden Knights, and we're looking forward to it. And I'll, uh, I'll be seeing the Knights in person this week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know what? That might be worthy of a pot itself to get your impression of the Knights firsthand, sir. Might have to do a quickie yeah. show the next day. Uh, I, I wish I could. Probably you won't be able to, but we'll, well, it's Wednesday. The game's Wednesday night, so just be a couple of days until next Saturday. But I'll give you my uh, my thoughts. Uh, hopefully it will go. The, the end result will be the same as the year before. Or uh, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the Islanders—they haven't beaten the Islanders yet, right? And the, the Islanders won in Vegas. That was one of the few good things about the Islanders last year was uh, they beat uh, Vegas both games. They beat who were one of the better teams. So uh, I think it's a short list of teams uh, that Vegas hasn't do, do not have a win against, and the Islanders are are on that list. I'll tell you what. The uh, the list against teams that haven't beaten the Knights is shorter than the list of teams the Knights haven't beat. I'll tell you that. Yeah, no, I but, think because um, I, I know think the Oilers are on that list against Chicago. I, oh, is that right? Yeah, I know the Oilers were on that list, uh, but the Knights beat them this year. So yep. I know last year. I don't think I think for whatever reason the Knights lost all the games to the Oilers. I think Minnesota uh, I think too was tough. Should, Okay, okay. But I know, yeah, yeah the Islanders won, uh, I want to say, like a 5-3 game here, and then they won like a 2-1 or 3-2 game over there. But the Islanders play the Knights uh, twice uh, over the next couple of weeks because uh, they play them right before Christmas in Vegas. So they go out west. They do another western swing before Christmas, and they go to Vegas. So you're going to see the Islanders a couple of times. Well, Trot's, uh, Trot's got to be familiar with the club, so we need to put on our backdoor yes. pass defense and uh, get, <laughs> let's not let that get involved in, in our game again, uh, going back up against Coach Trotz. He certainly had a game plan on on how to take that defense, um, and, and it worked for the Capitals. So uh, put on the game tape. Let's, let's close that backdoor down, and I think the Knights will be fine. We'll see. All right, buddy. Great show. All right. Good good, good talking to you again, as always, Chris. Uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Make sure you follow us at Vegas Hockey Pod on Twitter for all of our all of our content. And follow Chris on Twitter at the NL King. You can also go over to Russ Cohen's SoundCloud page, Sportsology. He also hosts the show. Uh, th- thanks to Russ Cohen for doing that. We always appreciate that. So until next week, we'll be talking with Dan Harrigan, uh, Tampa Bay Lightning guy, and, and focusing on the Atlantic Division. But until then, for Chris, I'm Mark, and we're gone. <laughs>